0: Welcome back to episode eight of The Pod uh, with myself, Ethan Warren, and my co-host, Kellen Cupid. Kellen, say hi to everyone. Hey, how's it going? Long time no <laughs> <to> see. <laughs> uh, <laughs> with us, we have uh, two guests today who Kellen is going to introduce for us. Yeah, so
1: today we were lucky enough to be joined by um, two incredible members of the Quidditch community. Uh, we have Emma Wolf, who is a uh, alumni of Tough Quidditch. She was a beater there for uh, the last four years from 2016 to 2020. Um, And she's also participated with the Washington Admirals and the Boston um, MLQ team. uh, And is now going to be the uh, co-captain and a beater on the uh, new club team in the Northeast, the Boston Pandas. And uh, we we also have uh, Jamie Luby who, was a team co-founder of the UCLA team uh way back in the day so uh that was the um team with like the Wizards of Westwood right uh and then she was a USQ cup finalist um and then was also a founder of UCI in 2013 uh and then has experience playing with uh LA Gambit um the LA Guardians uh and most recently, uh, she was a beater and assistant coach on the L.A. Lost Boys. Um, so yeah, thank you guys so much for joining. So much. Welcome. Welcome.
2: So Thanks nice for having us here. Um, and also, wow, Jamie, so cool to to meet you and get to speak to you. I mean, I was hearing about L.A. <laughs> I feel like such a baby here. Uh, in <laughs> what I know, but so cool. I didn't realize that you started the team. That's really incredible.
3: Thank you. It was actually so um. I'm gonna jump in and, and edit a little bit of that. It was, uh, I wasn't a co-founder for UCLA. I was uh founder for UCI, but I did, I was one of the earlier members on UCLA, but I didn't really quite found the team. But thank you, gotcha. it's really good gotcha. to speak
1: gotcha.
2: with yeah, you guys. Cool. Legendary, <laughs> legendary going on.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <Thank> like <you. laughs> oh, more than twice as much experience
0: as me. So the, I already have exactly. so much respect
2: I was, for you. I'm the same boat here, I think.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure you guys have plenty of experience too. But.
0: So now that we've got introductions out of the way, how was your guys' holiday season? Did you guys do anything fun, or were we all just staying inside, being safe? literally
2: all just I think just being inside? Being safe. <laughs> but you know, it was it was still it was relaxing to have some time off work mm-hmm. and observe the the passing into the new year.
3: Yeah, I would say the same. I just kind of relaxed and spent time with my kitties and just hung out in my apartment, and I didn't really do much. It was nice.
0: Nice. <laughs> Uh, yeah I'm I'm home back in Wisconsin now and usually for Thanksgiving and Christmas we do like a huge thing every year so it was really nice to just like have like the family and like no one else and that was like nice for you know a year as much as I as I love like seeing everyone it was really nice to to yeah. just have just the family you know
1: yeah. I, I completely agree like I because I also usually do like a big Christmas thing but this year it was just like me and my immediate family it was so chill Really like mm-hmm. I never really had to get out of pajamas on Christmas. Like that's perfect. That's ideal. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's just ah oh, man, it was such a nice chill time, you know. Mm-hmm.
2: I also feel like I have a uh, chance to like reach out to over Zoom, like friends and things and kind of reconnect with people with the time I have off, which mm-hmm. was definitely a nice feeling. Definitely.
3: Mm-hmm. That's good.
1: For sure, for sure man i that's um, a great idea we should definitely do more like friend zoom things like
3: that's
0: i call you on a facebook call maybe once a month and half the time you don't pick up so, yeah. i'm oh, putting me on blast
1: <laughs> you know, <sorry>. yeah. <laughs> all right
0: i'm gonna um, put you on blast and i'm gonna put tyler beckman on blast for also now. No, Answering no. Half the time.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Uh, uh, well, anyway, um, <laughs> let's uh, let's kind of dig into y'all, uh, you know, more Quidditch-related things. So um, kind of just give us uh, some background on um, specifically kind of your leadership roles, if preferable. So I guess we can start with you, Jamie. Um, we know you are a uh, founder of UCI um you've been uh, a co-captain on that team you were a assistant coach for lost boys so like originally just like how'd you get into I don't know founding a team captaining a team all that stuff like what really led you to get into that
3: sure yeah so when I was at UCLA I I ended up uh, I went through the whole program there and then I graduated and I was like what do I do next um and I was moving back to nearby my hometown uh, in Southern California. And I wanted to stay involved in the sport after I graduated. So I just started looking for programs that I could maybe, or schools that I could maybe start something with. Um, I knew I wanted to spread Quidditch around and stay involved. And I saw a niche at UCI, UC Irvine. Um, They had a really vibrant community. It was a college community that had no Quidditch team. And so I reached out to their, um, their like, it was called Dumbledore's Army. Sorry, it was called Dumbledore's oh. Army. It's their Harry Potter cl- uh, club on campus. Mm-hmm. And I reached out and they gave me a table at their like uh, yearly activities fair. And I just got people signed up for Quidditch. And then from there, it kind of snowballed into captaining. And then I worked with, um i so I, I co-coached i captained co-captained i i worked with um lost boys as an assistant coach last season and then i've done some skills coaching here and there just throughout my time so yeah
1: wow that's yeah. really incredible uh i'm just that's like nice. i'm such like a super fan right now like, I'm just, <laughs> no yeah, no it's no, crazy know. <laughs> yeah
0: no it's it's crazy to hear from someone like on one of those old ucla teams Aww. for our younger audiences that that don't know like this ucla team was like so super stacked it was such a powerhouse yeah and like ucla just like historically i mean even in what 2018 they made uh elite eight and like they're like consistently like up there like throughout so, like since they started and like they're like the pedigree of that ucla team like Keeps up with, like, pretty much any school. Thank
3: you. I remember so, hearing
2: okay. you guys definitely yeah, means, like, in my in my undergrad career, just being like, wow. <laughs> like, you, yeah. it was always, mm-hmm. like, a name on people's lips when they were talking about, like, you know, founding Quidditch legends and stuff, so.
1: Yeah. I'm sure. So, it. and now, Jamie, were you a part of that team that was in the documentary as well? Or? I was, yeah.
3: I was in oh. Mudbloods, and I was in, so I was in, I went to, gosh, I, I basically, freshmen through senior year, I was, doing things for the Quidditch team. And I competed at World Cup five in New York City, uh, where Mudbloods followed us around. And then I competed at World Cup six, made it to the finals with the team. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was it was a great squad. I mean, I'm so proud to come from that that group.
1: Wow, that's just an incredible story. Thank you. Um, <laughs> But you know, it, it's not just, just you. We have Another incredible captain uh, joined us today. So uh, Emma, I know that, you know, uh, your experience captaining at Tufts might've been a bit unorthodox. I don't know if uh, you kind of want to explain um, just basically how you became um, someone who was in such a prominent leadership role at your school.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, ha, mine was a bit unique in the sense that I was sort of catapulted into coaching uh, very early on because myself and the wonderful Serena Montero, Um, a great friend and player on the Tufts team as well. We both somehow ended up our sophomore year coming into the year as the most experienced um, female beaters on the team. Um, The only ones who were, I guess, invested in sort of taking more of a coaching role with our incoming class. Um, So we ended up structuring a lot of our beater program from that point, kind of moving forward. Um, And so sophomore and a, good chunk of junior year too, we did a bunch of beater coaching and beater training and did a lot of learning on the spot while also trying to develop ourselves. And we were lucky enough to have a lot of support from the incredible Boston community. And then eventually um, our captains, Nick Jablonski and Greg Bento, sorry, our coaches, Nick Jablonski and Greg Bento joined. um, And that was a huge help as well. Um, But definitely the experience of Coaching and learning at the same time was a really unique one. But I think also has given me some really cool insight into how to both develop myself while also developing other players, um, which was a really cool experience. And also um, myself and Serena sort of kind of functioned as beater captains throughout our time at Tufts. Um, our captain, Fen McGargan, was kind of the primary chaser person, but we uh, sort of took on the role of, of developing our beaters over the years. Um, and I hope to kind of take some of that experience and some of that um, kind of coaching stuff more from the past and also from what I've learned from Nick and Greg into my role on PANDAS now uh, as soon as I am able to to do that.
1: Wow, so uh, you, you know, briefly mentioned how you're kind of like learning and teaching at the same time. Um, do you think that the fact that you're, you know, playing and trying to coach um, is kind of what is unique about being a college or a collegiate Quidditch captain, opposed to, you know, maybe what club is going to be like? Oh,
2: absolutely. I think it'll be a very different style than kind of what I was initially used to. Um, And I think, you know, we were very lucky to have Nick and Greg come and start kind of supporting us and doing a lot in terms of, um, you know, some of the coaching aspects my junior and senior year. But definitely kind of juggling those roles of of coach and captain is difficult and really made me appreciate um a lot of what a lot of the college teams around the country do, especially um you know those that don't have maybe such entrenched community programs to support them um It definitely is a lot of work um especially on the pitch I think, um when you're trying to kind of watch your players and monitor your players, but also you know be thinking about yourself. So that's where, I'll, you know, I think a lot of other collaboration comes in, in terms of coaching on the college level, I think maybe more so than it does in the community level, because, you know, you rely on yourself to kind of be guiding your maybe newer players, while also relying on your teammates um, a little more so to be kind of watching you and watching your um, actions and giving you feedback, I would say.
0: Yeah, for sure. I definitely agree with that. I- Definitely agree with your assessment of like differences between coaching in college versus coaching in club. In my personal experience, we at Rochester like had this issue as well with you know our star players having to coach, and so that's why I kind of took over our junior year because I was not a star player, uh, believe it or not. (laughs) Um, So they they stuck me in as as a coach, and that uh, helped a lot. Just like having like your star players like having or like being able to just focus Mm -hmm. on the game, and then having someone else like do other things uh but i think like in the club scene like even if you are like a very good player and you're like coaching and playing uh you still have like other good players around you or like like many other players like experienced players and so that's definitely helpful. yeah i'll be
2: well. i'm very excited to kind of learn a bit more about how you know, that interacts in, in the club scene. I definitely know that we have on Pandas some really fantastic coaches in Juan and, and mm-hmm. Teddy Costa and obviously Grace Dastas and Lulu Zoo. Mm-hmm. So I'll probably be taking more of a of a captainship role on, on the Pandas team. But Jamie, mm-hmm. I'm very interested about your perspective on <laughs> college versus club because you've obviously had such ex- um, incredible experience with, with both.
3: Sure, thanks. Yeah, I, I mean, it's... So first off, every team is different just in general. I mean, I'm sure all of you guys know this. Every team has a personality that you have to kind of adjust to. And so that is part of it. But I feel like the patterns that I've seen have have been college tends to be like easier to recruit, but more difficult to retain players. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You tend to focus more on fundamental skills like uh, catching a ball and throwing the ball accurately, leading passes, doing things that are, are a little bit more fundamental. And then when you develop game plans, they tend to be a little bit more basic than you would get at the community level or the club mm-hmm. level. In some ways, I mean, the community level, it's the opposite. You have It's more difficult to recruit from my experience, although I know that's not always the case. And it is easier to, to retain players once you do recruit them strategy and fine tuning things are, are kind of what you focus on more so than fundamentals. And I think that my experience has just been that people there are more focused on like, yeah, we want to win. Then in college, sometimes you have to coax that out of people. And so I I guess those would be my, that would be kind of my take.
2: A perspective I'm Mm -hmm. also kind of (laughs) just thinking about it now, you know, something about college that I think differs from, from community too, is when you're kind of coaching a college team and no shade on my teammates or any college teams with this reference, but it's kind of like, imagine you're a teacher teaching like a K through five classroom, you know, because mm. you have you have people <laughs> at just such different levels. Um, you know, you Absolutely. have people who are starting out and also people who are kind of itching to get into a little bit more of this complex strategy. So sort of balancing that and kind of balancing energy into those two different areas. Do you find that that's, that's a little more balanced, I guess, on the club level?
3: Definitely. I, I would say that the vast majority of, of club players are, are people who have played from their college. And Mm -hmm. usually at the college level, you you, like exactly like you're saying, you have this wide variety of players and they have a wide variety of backgrounds and some are there just because they want to blow off steam after class and some are there because they really, really want to win and you have everything in between. So it can be really hard to to kind of adjust your coaching to a, a college team, at least in the beginning before you kind of get a feel for your group, you know.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I would say, like, for me, I think the hardest time period of, of coaching in college is, like, the first month or two. Yeah, because, you know, you get everyone in. You get people who are, are there for Harry Potter, obviously, and you get people who are there because, like, they're athletes and, like, they want to play a club sport. And then you get, like, a mix of the two as well. And, you know, you've got to plan a practice for all of those people it's usually like a huge amount of people you never know if you're gonna have 20 people or 40 people or like who's gonna show up (laughs) and then yeah i think that's like pretty difficult and especially emma you might have experience with this too like in in the northeast when you know you've got regionals two months after you you start practices (laughs) yeah it's like it's like how am i supposed to you know train these these new players also get my team ready for yeah. regionals. You know? It's
2: really, it's tough, <laughs> yeah. you know, but it's, it's a challenge, but it's fun in a lot of ways because you get to regionals and as, as you know, all of you Northeast people know regionals in, in the Northeast is very much a time yeah. <laughs> yeah, that are having this experience. And also, you know, it's kind of fun to get them see to see them kind of test, spread their wings a little bit while you're also kind of, fighting tooth and nail with maybe your more experienced players so it's also a bit difficult too I think to balance making sure the new players get time while also making sure that you're still competitive Um, Mm -hmm. just a lot of factors
1: yeah and I Mm -hmm. think like uh, like a testament to what you're saying Emma you can't really especially in college um, the the culture is really set by the team less so than the the coach you know like you can't go into a, a team with an expectation of what it, what you want it to be it's really going to be determined by the players because if the players aren't vibing with the kind of culture you want to set then they're just not going to want to play that's a very um, good thing yeah so it <laughs> yeah so it, it really is a balancing act um and and i'm, I'm so glad you brought that up um because i think that it's like a really important lesson to learn if you're trying to like coach as a young sophomore <laughs> junior or something which most college captains tend to be so yeah but you know moving kind of past just the overall like values of how you want to set your team up is there like certain differences I mean I, I'm assuming Jamie you would have more experience with this but Emma feel free to jump in too but do you guys think that there are more clear like differences for the way that um, team preparation uh, differs between college and club uh, so maybe like the way you set up practice or the uh, like I don't know anything I mean and Ethan you can jump in as well because I know you also coach club <laughs> Very good <college, funded>
3: but... <laughs> for me actually
2: because I'm very curious to actually learn about this so
3: so in terms of like coaching style or
1: um just like in the way that you prepare um what is the kind of just like I mean we kind of touched on this briefly um already just saying like we develop different mm-hmm. skills um in college and in club but just like Kind of the more like detailed aspects, like, do you think that, um, practices consist of more, um, drills Mm -hmm. or is it more like Mm -hmm. scrimmage based running through different strategies, things like that?
3: Yeah, that's a really good question. When I think about setting up like a practice or setting up for just preparing my team, um, I typically want to start with one, where is my team at? What skills do they have? And then two. What can I give them? And what can the other people on my team give them? Like I, I fully acknowledge I'm not the expert in everything, right? And so I, I look to others to to make sure they bring their expertise. And then three, I think practice structure is incredibly important with all of that. And like, how do you set up a good practice? What do you start with? What's in the middle? Like what ends up as the, what are the bookends and what's in the middle basically um so yeah I, I like to set up i don't do you want me to describe like how i would set up a practice
1: i mean I, like you said a lot of it is very team dependent but I, I think you did a great job in just kind of like uh further explaining just you know the kind of intricacies of of why like club needs to do practice a certain way than over college okay. you know um I don't know, Ethan, do you have uh, any like thoughts on how different it is? Uh, maybe there's a regional difference yeah. as well, because uh, I believe you're the only one who's coached in multiple regions, so. Uh,
0: yeah. Um, I don't know. For me, I think, like, the biggest difference is, like, your, your audience when you're coaching, right? Because, like, as Jamie said, like, when you're coaching club, like, it's not like you're the expert in everything, um, whereas, like, when you're coaching college, you're, like, kind of seen as mm-hmm. more of an authority figure. So, like, For us, like, we do a lot of scrimmaging, but, like, when we're doing drills, it's really important for, like, me to know why we're doing certain drills and, like, be able to explain it to everyone because, like, not everyone, like, might be on the same page on certain drills. And so being confident and being able to explain, like, hey, we're doing this to work on this, this, and this because we had these issues in, like, our last game or something like that. I think that's, like, a lot more important than it is in college, whereas, like, in college, you can just be, like hey, go do this, and people will mostly do it.
2: (laughs) I imagine maximizing time. This is just something I've thought about in terms of, you know, making the transition is probably a a little bit more crucial in club than it is in college because, you know, college practices, you can kind of build in based around class schedules and, you know, everybody's sort of on campus versus club. You know, people might not be able to make practices. Mm -hmm. Um, So those of you, Jamie and Ethan, who've had more experience in, in the club realm, do you find that to be the case?
3: Yeah, I'd say that that um, timing with with college is a little bit easier in some ways. In that you have more time. Usually, you're able to do like two practices, even maybe sometimes three. I know UCI they practice uh, three times a week. They do a conditioning practice as well as a um, like a scrimmaging practice, or at least this is how it used to be, and then a uh, one more like skills based practice. And um, with our club team with lost boys we have one practice a week and that's all we get and so we really have to make mm-hmm. sure that we we use our time effectively so maximizing our productivity during that time is so so yeah. important and that's where that structure comes in i mean we mm-hmm. start off we hit the ground running we do conditioning right off the bat uh or like warm ups right off the bat and then we jump into light drills then we get into strategic-based like half-court scrimmages uh or half-court drills and then we jump into scrimmage and then we'll end it with conditioning and that's that is our structure we stick to that like glue and it's just go 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 and it, so we really have to use time yeah. whereas college i think there is a little more leeway there yeah i think
0: yeah timing is definitely super important um i think another big thing is people are coming mm-hmm. from a lot further away uh, for club practices than they are for for college usually everyone's like living on campus or like near the campus for college practices whereas for club like for us you know we have people come from louisiana people coming wow. from like different parts of texas um and so it's like three four or five hours for them and like we also only practice uh once a week or sometimes we do like mm-hmm. a saturday and a sunday practice uh for three hours each but we usually do that like once a month um and and so it's like you've got to be really cognizant of people's time. So if, like, you know, people are showing late or, like, half the team is showing up late, then those people who drove, like, three or four hours to practice, yeah, like, aren't really exactly. getting much out of it, right? And so that's a, that's a super big thing as well.
1: And um, this is kind of something that you already briefly touched upon, but what are some of the player expectations that you guys face in club that you didn't really notice in, when you were captaining or coaching a college team?
3: Uh, for me, I mean, uh, there's like Ethan had mentioned, timing and being on time is is a big, big deal with the club team. We, you know, we, we hold people accountable for coming late. We make sure that the time that is used or that we have is used well. And there are some aspects of like, you know, we, we really do want to, to push that accountability for people. That would be one thing for sure. That's the first thing that comes to my mind based off of what Ethan said.
0: I think another thing is like in club, almost everyone that's coming onto a club team was either a very good player or like a star on their on their college team, and so you know everyone comes in with like a way that they're used to playing or style that they're used to playing, which you know might not fit like what you're trying to do as a coach or like what the team as a whole mm-hmm. is trying to do, and so being yeah. more adaptive, I think is is a big thing for and a club I coach think as
3: well. If I could jump in on that too not only being adaptive, but being ready to share what you know. You you come to practice, like mm-hmm. you, have, you have your own unique skill set. You are a valued member of this group. We love having all of our people from different backgrounds because that makes our team stronger. And so when people come to practice, um, you know, you're from UCLA. You're from UC Irvine. You're from santa barbara like the older santa barbara squad like we have skill sets from all over the place and we want to make sure that the people who are bringing those skill sets are able to share them as well as be adaptive to the other skill sets that are there
0: like everyone on your team in club knows what they're doing and you know has like tons of experience right so it's always good to you know check in with people as well and be like hey like what did you think about this what can we do better here like Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts on this and it's like always really important to get your your players opinions on stuff. I mean that's obviously also important in college, but I, I would say it's it's more important in club. Yeah, as well. I mean,
1: that's like extremely interesting to hear just cuz like I know from my like a very very brief captaining experience, it it did feel like <laughs> it it did feel like I had a lot more like a pressure and responsibility um just because I feel like a lot of college quidditch is teaching people how to play quidditch and i'd love to hear your experience <laughs> yeah. on this emma as well but,
2: oh my gosh yeah. exactly what <laughs> like you said college, yeah
1: oh uh, yeah but i mean i don't know it's just like call it, yeah college quidditch is so just so much more developmental i feel it, it really is intriguing to hear how like what's the word i'm looking for
3: collaborative. wow words are
1: hard <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah collaborative that works yeah. perfectly yes uh <laughs> thank you for the got you uh, <laughs> but yeah uh it, it's just wild um how like so much things carry over but how different it really is so then, now jamie and Emma, do y'all have like ways that you might characterize the style in which you? so coach?
2: i'm again very curious to see jamie your response to this because i definitely as a college coach i think my intention and my tendency is always to be quite hands-on as a coach, and exactly as Kellen said, a lot of what you're doing as a college coach is the training and is this, you know, very careful kind of monitoring of your players and developing their skills versus from what my my experience with MLQ as a player, you know, and, and on a kind of, you know, a, a more intense level, it's a lot more about, like, again, this collaborative aspect that we've been talking about. Um, so I'd be curious to see kind of whether whether club is more, of a less hands-on experience than I've had with college. Cause I think that will be an interesting transition for me personally to make. Cause obviously, oh my gosh, you know, on, on pandas, um, nobody there really needs any handholding. So like it's going I imagine gonna be a very mm-hmm. different type of thing. And um, our, our coaches have, you know, I'm sure are gonna do an excellent job of, of managing that. But I'm again, just very curious to, to learn a little bit about maybe how to make that transition also.
3: Yeah. Um, well, okay. So at one point uh, you had mentioned, and I do, I kind of want to go back to this cause I'm curious and I don't mean to change the subject, but I'm, I'm curious no as, to, um, <laughs> as to Emma's experience with coaching at Tufts, it was a very, would you say it was very hands-on like what were some of the strategies that you used in working with, with players?
2: Oh uh, gosh. So a lot of, we ran a lot of, um, Drills. We were especially when I was kind of you know doing a lot of beater stuff. It was very drill heavy. We'd do scrimmages too, of course. Um, but I would actually run every week throughout my sophomore and junior year a separate beater practice um, that was essentially just like a skills development workshop. Um, awesome. Where me and Serena would we had we had these squash courts um, in our in our gym building that were not often used for squash, <laughs> so we would we would set up shop there and just do a lot of very basic throwing, catching, dodging that I actually think became pretty core to how we develop our, our beaters kind of going forward. And again, all of me, me talking as a coach is definitely coming from a beater perspective, far more so than a, a chaser coaching perspective. That is all Nick, Greg, and Finn. I do not think I would have the slightest idea of how to how to or coach chasers. But in terms <laughs> of beaters, and I know as a beater myself, I definitely appreciate Maybe a little bit more closer guidance um, than I would as a chaser just because so much of beater stuff relies on working directly with your partner. So whether that's kind of, you know, your partner and you collaborating to guide each other or whether that's as the more senior beater in the pair working to guide, you know, the more junior beater in the pair. Um, as a college player, because that often does tend to be a setup is, you know, maybe in my experience, at least it'll, you know, usually you'll be sometimes playing with someone at your level, but often it's, you're the senior beater in the pair and you have kind of um, a less senior beater that you're kind of
0: working with. Gotcha.
3: Yeah. Uh,
0: sorry to interrupt your story about the squash courts it made me laugh because uh, we used squash courts <laughs> at Rochester as well to, uh, to help with, uh, to help with uh, seeking practice we would like throw oh, draw balls against against the wall and like they would bounce at weird angles and no, really like our would have to catch actually. them like in the air. it is a good yeah. draw yeah yeah, yeah so, that was, oh, so that was uh that was really fun <laughs> so I, 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 I thought
1: was... you were gonna say that you're like tackling <laughs> like... and like seeking decision like <laughs> god, on the squash courts.
0: god I... no. <laughs> <That> <laughs> yeah, be, on like Rochester's squash team was actually like really good like I think our our men's squash team was like ranked number one in the nation for a little bit and I felt really bad that we were using their, their courts it's just for, like, like dumb, like, <laughs> secret no drills. No such but... This is a bit
2: of an aside. But Tufts players will, will know that the squash courts are a bit of a cursed location in the gym. They're, like, very wooded <laughs> and, like, barely lit. And, like, it takes – the doors are very small. So perfect for quidditch, basically. <laughs> yeah.
1: Also, secret drills can never <laughs> exactly. be dumb. But that's beside the point.
0: Uh, we were we're, we're talking about uh, like coaching styles and
3: sorry
1: yes 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 (laughs) so jamie you can take it away Uh, tell us all about how you feel okay yeah
3: um so i do take a hands-on approach but maybe not in the way that we're talking about so my first thing is i i want to listen to my players right i want to make sure that i know what are the people on my team able to do What are they really skilled at? What do they need work with? And how do they respond to feedback? And I think those are the four most important things that you need before you get anything done on any team, college, community, whatever. And if you can kind of listen to your players with with those things, then, then you can start to push your team where you think it should go right as the coach we all have a vision as to where things should hopefully go national titles right but you need to know those things before you can even start and so when when we're on the field i like to watch individuals rather than the team at least early on in the season and of course watching the team is important when you do those scrimmaging when those scrimmages but first off you need to establish yes we're training to win but mindset is what we need to establish first. And knowing what your players can do, their weaknesses, their, their goals, what they need to work on, uh, that's the most important thing first. And once you've established that, then you can start reaching out to individuals and saying, hey, I've noticed you do this. Um, maybe try this instead or getting groups together and saying, Hey, um, person a, you're really, really good at throwing the ball person B. You need to work on catching the ball a little bit, work with each other a bit. Um, and so it's a hands-on approach, except it's a guiding approach rather than a kind of pushing the team forward in one direction type of approach. Um, You know, you might have one person who responds to a very, who only responds to a super demanding, uh, competitive uh, coaching style, right? Get on the line, give me uh, sprints every time you uh, feel like you've done something below your level. And that type of person is on, I've seen one or two on every team that I've played with. And you need those people to push themselves and they need to have someone who's holding them accountable and every time they feel that they need to do some sprints you encourage them and say okay go do a sprint and then they come back and they improve the next time because that's how they work and then you also have the people who completely shut down in that mindset every time you know we have conditioning if if we've got players who who are who struggle with conditioning or who Aren't the type of people who can be motivated by external pushing, like go, 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 run, sprint, shouting at them. It doesn't work for them. They shut down. And so it's important to kind of meet people where they're at and then bring them up to the baseline that you want your entire team to be at, at the very least for everybody. And then you can start making forward progress. So it's hands on, but it's also kind of a, com- a combination of different coaching styles. That's how I operate.
2: I really like that idea um, and just that concept of, of, you know, of course you're focusing on the team, but also the individually kind of focused mentality of, of recognizing that every individual kind of operates differently and has different things that motivate them. Um, that just seems like a very, you know, a, a way to make sure that everybody sort of feels included in the coaching process, but also um, you're moving the team forward while taking into account. Everybody's strengths
3: weaknesses. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's done me wonders as a mm-hmm. coach, and it's made me a a better player, coach, and teammate. So I I, I love it. Thanks.
0: Yeah. So uh, I guess moving on to like our next couple questions. Um, I have a question for for Jamie, but first question for Emma since we haven't heard much from her because we're talking about club stuff. What are your expectations for like pandas this upcoming year, and I guess for yourself in this transition from from college to club like what is something that like you want to focus on so i'm so beyond
2: excited for pandas i (laughs) so lucky to to be a part of it and honestly really grateful to to grace and, and lulu when they kind of were starting we were all kind of starting this discussion about a community team in boston that they were willing to kind of look at me and finn and be like yes we understand that you guys are recent graduates and you know, and still be willing to trust us with this responsibility of captaincy and this responsibility of helping to guide, you know, the structure of the team and the culture of the team That's that's been a real privilege. So definitely an expectation. I'm sure if if you if all of you you don't know the structure of PANDAS, we're, we're operating under a, you know, a, a three max rule in terms of um, male identifying players on the field. And, you know, again, just really pushing, you know, for the inclusion of women and non-binary individuals in, in the sport and that we can play the sport just as well as as mal-identifying individuals, and I am just so excited for us to be kind of working on moving that agenda forward. I really think there's a lot of promise, and our coaches are working on some really excellent kind of ways to rethink the game and rethink kind of how we approach a lot of the strategies that we kind of assume are fundamental and set in stone. So, kind of definitely, I think my primary excitement and expectation is really working as hard as we can as as a team and as leadership to to work with this. Kind of three max structure that we're going to be operating under and as an individual i think um i'm excited for and nervous for the transition from college to club because i definitely know it will be a different experience but i mean honestly it comes down ultimately to working more on developing my skills as a player while also having to continue maintain my responsibilities as a leader i feel very grateful to have had all of these leadership opportunities on tops and definitely kind of seeing where you know this leadership experience fits into pandas and what I can bring to pandas for my experience with puffs. And ideally, um, you know, with that continuing to push my play forward and continuing to, you know, better myself as a beater and, and trusting more in myself, um, and having more confidence in my skills. Um, and I really think that will be supported and, and developed by the wonderful team that we are beginning to, uh, build
0: uh yeah i think those are those are great goals for for both you and for your team and i'm hoping (laughs) you know people at usq if you're if you're listening to this i'm hoping we can we can move to to three max next year um or at least you know four max snitch on pitch uh, at least something for 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 next year because uh yeah we're kind of we're kind of behind europe and the rest of the world on 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 this stuff so we we gotta we gotta make some changes um but yeah, so for Jamie, um, you've been coaching and captaining for, for a long time since your days at UCLA. What do you think has been like the hardest change to like the hardest rule book change for you to like help your, your players understand or uh for you as a as a coach yourself to oh my gosh, to wrap your head around?
3: There have been so many. Um <laughs> it's a good it's a really good question. So I mean, if we're going way back like way back, snitch on pitch was that was was a big change to implement uh there was a lot of anger we had people leaving the sport because of it so i mean yeah when when we changed from a snitch can go pretty much anywhere to a snitch can only be on the field at the time of play that was a big change uh it wasn't hard to describe to players and teach them, but it, it, like emotionally it felt hard. I don't really know why. It just, it, it was, it was tough for people to, mm-hmm. to grasp. Um, and then on top of that, I think the next big change would have been, okay. So it would have been when the ball needed to continue to be advanced mm-hmm. um, up the field and it, or mm-hmm. it would get, called a, like a delay of game and that was a really big change out in the west because mm-hmm. a big strategy for a lot of west teams was hold the ball on, mm-hmm. our, on our side of the court until we absolutely for you know 100 have a goal option and i mean i think it was a good move because it it made our region you know let go of that crutch and really develop their beaters and develop their keepers, ball handling, develop their better passes. I mean, ultimately it was a good move, but that there was a lot of pushback and it it was hard to teach people because the I mean our region had been so focused on slowballing.
0: Okay, awesome. Yeah. I think the the snitch on pitch stuff, I feel like almost everyone Says that one of, of the older players because yeah. that was just such a, a drastic yeah. change and yeah, a, you know, a change for good, obviously. But yeah, I, like I can't even fathom.
3: Oh, the it, was with, it was fun, like, it was wild off pitch. I was not <laughs> yeah. eater at that time, too. Yeah, so I would, I would yeah. like run around the entire <laughs> UCLA campus, <laughs> it was d- so dumb, but it was fun.
0: <laughs> oh man, what about oh, yeah, what so my, my good friend uh, just- Greg Bento? Loved that time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh he, he was really good at that. <laughs> stories
2: about like he, um, um, exists, so. knowing people like to <laughs> um, jump on a bus and go across campus on like our kids oh my gosh and like just <laughs> each other
0: yeah I have <laughs> on elevators oh. and stuff it's rough <laughs> <laughs> so Emma I guess for you the big change that that probably happened yes. when you were a coach was the reset rule correct was that uh yeah so how did you like go about that with with your team was that
2: uh, accidentally, yeah. because you know, initially our strategy is is was kind of built around um, building, bringing the ball up and moving it back if we were pressured, et cetera. Um, and we did some interesting things to beater strategy, I think, mm-hmm. and allowed us to do some more cool stuff with offensive beating um, because there kind of you know was you only really had the one reset, so there was that kind of pressure to for the beaters to make a move and for the beaters to kind of you know make more of an offensive push than we had done in the past. I think prior to the reset rule. We would usually run um, a strategy where we kept a beater back and sent a beater up, but then we started doing a lot more with two-beater offenses, which is very much Mm -hmm. the norm now. Um, So it definitely was a bit of an adjustment in the beginning, but I think it was ultimately good for, again, I can really more speak to the beaters than to the chasers, but I think it really pushed us into more offensive beating territory than we'd done in the past. So that was a kind of a cool adjustment to make. Definitely um, a challenge, but good
3: ultimately once we did make it. You know I have to go back and say one quick thing too I actually wasn't a coach during those those changes uh, I don't know if I would say there was one specific role where I was coaching where it felt like it was difficult to to make those changes to um, and to teach people on my team when I as a coach but um, but those were the the changes that came to mind sorry
0: yeah I think the reset role for for us was was a big change because as as you said about like our offense did the same thing that you guys did, where you know we, whenever we were pressured, would we just like move the ball back, and uh, especially yeah. because like we had really solid seeking and really good beating, and so we were like, oh, if we're in range, we're gonna win the game like eighty percent of the time. So let's just you know exactly. keep the range, exactly. and if there's any danger, we just back off, and that's what we did, and we had, really low scoring games. Like, that's really like we're true. Like, I didn't even I didn't even like recall that, but I, that
2: that actually <laughs> brings a lot of bells of scoring increasing which is i mean i'm sure the purpose of the of the change but um
0: yeah yeah and then like you know we had to, to adjust to that and i think for for beaters a big adjustment that like yeah like they had to make was when to to yes. pressure people and like when to force resets too because that became super important and i think like i think the teams that like figured out how important that yes. was quickly yes. ended up having a lot of success Especially. that year yeah yeah fast break opportunities too so yeah definitely, yeah, I, definitely I mean yeah, like i remember it was, it was that year
1: getting... that u of r won the national championship like we just lost <laughs> yeah. so many games to y'all just by so many points just all on like fast breaks and <laughs> just like losing control oh it was just it was beating to perfection like wow god but you guys
0: <laughs> kicked our butt at, at octoberfest oh, yeah. and... oh i had a ball handle in that game and Oh, I forget. I think it was Mickey Shotani mm-hmm. who who kept, like, tackling me to the ground every oh, time I had the ball. <laughs> I was so sore the next yeah. day.
3: I'm a little biased, but I feel like uh, the switch to offensive beating <laughs> that we've had in, in recent years has just been one of the best changes oh, to ever happen in the sport. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: I feel biased <laughs> in that. But... Yeah, I agree. I think it's also good yeah. from, from uh, like, a fan perspective oh and a viewer perspective, because I, yeah. I think beater duels are, oh, like... Yeah probably the coolest thing to see in the sport. Cool goals are like awesome, but seeing someone like catch like a point blank beat and then like beat someone in the face.
2: Like it it just gave people more of an opportunity to shine mm-hmm. in the sense of, you know, it is a real big difference, you know, to have a beater who can crush it on on defense and then immediately run up and, you know, crush it on offense too. And definitely I do remember um Definitely noticing uh, a shift. Obviously beating is gonna is athletic no matter what, but like just the amount of of energy expended <laughs> through beating. I definitely remember a shift when we started kind of offensive beating more because it is so much of the running back and forth. But again, it does allow beaters these opportunities to create these really fantastic offensive moves that um again, in conjunction with with the chasing changes in the chasing offense, I think have been able to make some great quidditch ultimately. Yeah.
1: All right. So I think this is a great time to kind of transition on to the final portion of this interview. I think we're gonna move on to a, a new segment again this week. Uh and this one is called Quid hey. You Rather? Uh <laughs> our <laughs> Quidditch spin-off <laughs> of uh Would You Rather? It is I'm so excited. Um not everything is gonna be Quidditch related, but uh, some of them will be and hopefully we'll just <laughs> get some really fun answers. So the first one uh, I kinda had this in mind thinking just the regional differences. I wanted to make sure that uh this is something that like everyone might be able to relate to in some capacity. Um, but I should I say would you rather or would you rather? Anyway, let's just say the two options are playing on a hot turf field. So I'm s I'm thinking like 95 pushing triple digits, like hot, hot turf field. Yeah. Or muddy grass field so like think Rochester wet snow um (laughs) you know just you can't take any steps without falling which is which is your preferred I think
2: (laughs) gonna be not not assuming your answer Jamie but I think this is gonna be a (laughs) fun game because I without question will say hot turf field um because of the amount of times I have been in Rochester New York and have been very seriously wondering whether my feet are still present (laughs) Um, and also, just the feeling of <laughs> wet socks being oh, the worst the top 10 worst feelings, like when you're already cold and wet.
3: Oh, I'm absolutely on the same page as you. I would so much, so much rather be playing on a very hot turf field than in mud. I have had, if I never saw a muddy field again in my entire Quidditch career, I would be 100% okay with that. It's it's just horrible. It, it's awful. Um, I'm some um, terrible
1: experience. You know, it's it's really interesting y'all say that because there are literally times when I have felt like my feet were about to fall off. Oh no, that's because absolutely because they were big true. In the oven. No, While playing on a hot sucks field. in hot weather, it's horrible. Uh, yeah. yeah, and I don't know if I could. I I think personally, personally, I'd rather take the um, money field just because <laughs> that pain turf. of turf. I think. Well, like if it's cold and muddy, it's like a numbing feeling, right? It's not really like painful. It's just like you can't feel it. It does. Where a turf is like excruciating every step. I might want to take a tear. Or I, I would like, definitely rather
2: fall myself. in uh-huh. a muddy, cold field than fall on a hot turf pitch. Mm. Just the feeling of of like your hands hitting mm. the ground and you feel like you're getting scalded. Yeah, turf um, is horrible. Definitely not pleasant. Yeah. <clears throat>
1: All right, and what about you, Ethan? You have any uh, <laughs> you favorite
0: one time? Well, since since I, I don't since I don't actually play, I would definitely choose the hotter <laughs> field, just so in, in decently oh, nice man. weather. So that's, that's that's where I'm going for that
1: one. All right. Uh, <laughs> well, moving on to the next one, the uh the two options you can pick between are um Spotify and Apple Music. And disclaimer, <laughs> there is a right qu- or answer to this. Uh, it'll say a lot about, you know, your character, whatever you answer, so yeah, I'm a
3: Spotify, girl. Oh yeah, me too, Spotify uh, 100%. All right,
0: go, yeah, you yeah. guys answered. Spotify is where you can find the best podcasts <laughs> from the 8th Man Spotify uh, podcast feed. I mean, there's <laughs> no not That's
2: just, that's the yeah.
0: So, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> God, I forgot who was, who was roasting me for it not being that one. I think it was... Oh, I don't, no, I don't want to say, because it, it might not be that person. Um, it was definitely not someone say. cool, nah. because it was the only cool kid that was Spotify,
1: so... <laughs> Just saying. Yeah, I, uh, I think it was TK, so... <laughs> no, oh, no. man. <laughs> uh, TK, we love you. Yeah. But, man, that was tough. Um, all right, uh, so next one we have is... If you had to... You know get ready for a tournament you're getting ready to play um so <laughs> ethan this excludes you i'm assuming uh <laughs> would you prefer a real tournament um regardless of team Ooh, or a fantasy I, tournament?
2: that's hard there's there's pros and cons to each honestly i i really love fantasy tournaments and this is partly because I, re- I don't know. I I really enjoy the Northeast and the Boston yeah. community in particular. And I've just had so many, I don't know. I, I love um, one of the best parts about Quidditch for me is is the community and getting a chance to meet and and play with players, from other teams in a bit of a low, more low stakes environment is is just so fun and really drives home for me all the things I love about the sport and the people. Um, not that tournaments aren't also fun, but there's something special about fantasy tournaments.
3: Yeah, there is. I, I think as much as I, I love fantasy tournaments, and it's a thing in the West. Like, we have an obsession with well-done <laughs> fantasy tournaments. I think it's it's just the thing in the sport. But um, I, I think I'd go with a real tournament just because I like that high-stakes environment. Yeah. I really like it. It makes me just energetic. Yeah, I would go real game.
1: Mm. Wow that's i i'm I, personally I, i'm very torn on this um because uh, like you said jamie i'm i'm a super competitor yeah. so anytime when like the stakes are yeah. high i'm just like i live for that but at the same time the only time <laughs> i really go to beat is that yes. and beating is so much fun uh, oh man it's, so that's, it's really a toss-up i mean at the end of the day i think i'll take I'll take fantasy tournaments only because I don't have to seek. And seeking <laughs> is usually, I just get thrown around all the time. So I like a break every once in a while. <laughs>
2: uh, there you go. <laughs> I, think, I think fantasy oh, tournaments. I'm going yeah, yeah, retire that, my cover headband during yeah. uh, <laughs> fantasy which is not, not a, a pro. Um, uh,
1: yeah, uh, positional <laughs> freedom is just like, it's so great. I love it. Um, speaking of positions, we're going to move on to the last... And final question of, uh, our segment today, could you rather, um, (laughs) the, uh, you are, uh, tasked with being the culture captain of a, uh, a team full of just phenomenal Quidditch players. The only catch is you can either choose a team of all beaters or a team of all like keepers chasers. And then on that team, you can also have seekers. Um, I, I mean, I tried to make this where it kind of evened mm-hmm. out a little bit because the chasing game is dependent on the beating game, but that's not how it works vice versa. So the chasers might need a little mm-hmm. help. So I threw in keepers and seekers with them. But what do y'all think um, it would be a more successful team? A team of beaters? or So I'll let Jamie go first here because I have
2: direct positions? anecdotal evidence. Uh very, very curious to see what others think.
3: Okay. I feel like what I've seen in the past with beaters playing in fantasy tournaments with like, like taking over the ball carrier position that has not gone well. Um, But so I think I'm going with keeper chaser seeker because of the ball carry aspect. I, I know that there are some beaters who really can do it, but there are, I think the majority just are, would rather have a bludger in their hand and nothing else.
2: So, I think there's a, there's a right answer to this question, and, and there's a wrong answer to this question. Um, <laughs> and, uh, the right answer, I do oh agree my. with Jamie, is the Keeper Chaser line. <laughs> However, Serena Montero and I did uh, co GM a beater only uh, fantasy team at a fantasy, team. Uh, um, like one or two chasers. Um, We came bottom of the pile (laughs) Um, is absolutely correct that if you put a quaffle into a person's hand who was only beat for four years, it will go less than ideal. Um, But we had an incredible time and purple team beaters did really play our hearts out um, in on the chasing game, even if we did not come out on top. So I would say it's 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 the fun answer.
1: Uh, I think I remember yeah, was this was tournament. Was that the uh, Thanksgiving <laughs> wow. tournament at Harvard?
0: Wow. Uh, good times, good times. I'm actually going to go with the opposite answer. I think I'm going to go with all all beaters because here's the thing. I think a lot of beaters originally started off playing Chaser. And I think playing Chaser is just kind of easier than playing Beater because it's a lot more intuitive as to like where you're supposed to position Like if you've played any other sport. And I feel like you know, sometimes at practices, if we have too many beaters, which is really only a problem that Heat has, where we have too many beaters and not enough chasers at practice, um, we like, kind of stick beaters in at chaser, and they usually perform like pretty okay. <laughs> Whereas if we put Andrew Axel or Sam Ham at beater, that doesn't go well. So, you know, I, I think, I, think I, I would definitely yeah, go with a, it, a team yeah, of beaters. Experience level, of, and of, like whether you played, yeah, you know, the
2: positions in the past definitely counts um, well, too. Yeah, I mean,
1: personally, I, I also think I would take a team of beaters. But uh, the only reason why I do that is kind of selfish. And it's because if I like had this free reign over any like team and it was just like how I wanted to run the team, that's how it was going to be ran. Uh, I want a team that's just shooting from literally all over the field. Uh, and of course, beaters <laughs> are going to be the best at that, you know, with they're throwing most of the game anyway. So that's 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 how I would, you know, lead my team. Uh, (laughs) but, uh, thank you guys so much, uh, again, for joining us and taking some time out of your long and busy days. We couldn't have, you know, asked for two better guests to, you know, kind of just give us some insight on, you know, your thoughts and, and experiences on, you know, just captaining and leading teams um so thank you so much again is there anything else y'all want to thank add? thank you um
3: i wish you the best with pandas i'm super excited to see what you guys come up with and and how it goes well
2: thank you and i like excuse all my fangirling over all the things you do on the west coast but i'll definitely be following you guys as well and thank you so much ethan and Kellen, for having us this has been so fun to, to chat with you all
3: agreed thank you guys
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, Tune in next week for uh, Big Man Bias is next week, I believe. And I think it's going to be a pretty cool episode. So uh, tune in next week for that. Uh, Thank you. Thank you guys for for tuning in this week. And we'll see you guys in three weeks.